At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hmm? Ah! Huh. I'll see you in the valley beyond, William. Fuck you, Robert. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. This is Westworld Cast, Episode 7. Um, so we got some listener suggestions for rating units. Oh, nice. And I'll read through them. You know, this is, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, if we decide we want to rate the episode one to five, whatever's, well, they say violent delights, teddies, motor functions, attributes, bullets, black hats or white hats, marble maze toys, invisible doors and reincarnations. Wow, those are all pretty good. I kind of like Teddy's because it sounds like some kind of a sad <laughs> award or something. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, that's pretty good. Violent Delight. Yeah. Bad also. I think that's probably the clear winner. But I may yeah. go with Teddy's for a while just for the hell of it. <laughs> you could award. Um, yeah, you could decide which episode gets the Teddy. Right. End of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, well, let's go ahead and give our rating. But first, let me announce that it's our top five highlights for season two, episode two, Reunion. Did you like it? Uh, I did. So I, I, I'm, uh, I think we're 12 for 12 so far. Violent <laughs> yeah. Delights uh, in, in uh, episodes. I wouldn't say that this was one of my favorite episodes of all time so far. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, very high bar. So I would give this one 4.7 Violent Delights. That's still pretty damn good. Um, I'll give it 4.5 Teddies. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I really liked it too, especially because of seeing things that we've never seen before. The world expanding. That was super cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the best thing about this episode. The world expanded in several directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, It expanded. um, We're still expanding geographically. I think that's going to continue. But this episode expanded geographically into the human world and it expanded chronologically Mm -hmm. farther into the past and the future Mm -hmm. than we've been. Yeah. So so that was cool. I'm happy that they're still exploring the past and we get to see the evolution of young William and Logan and, and how, you know, this all formed and everything. That's really interesting and cool. It is. I would say what limited my rating or why I say this maybe wasn't one of my favorite mm-hmm. episodes of all time, although it was still really, really enjoyable is that I, I think a lot of this episode was sort of just devoted to plot exposition. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was still really well done and entertaining, but it wasn't just like the wild ride of some 
episodes. Yeah. And also, I'm still getting used to the paradigm of season two, which is quite different from from season one. It's it's less like tightly crafted, a um, little more sort of chaotic and mm-hmm. all over the place. Still great, but it's different. I still have to go back and rewatch the original movie, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. But so I may be wrong about this, but it feels like more we're getting into more of how that felt where it's chaotic robot war time. Yeah, I think that's true. And you could almost look at it like the entire season one of the show was just the backstory explaining how we got here. Yeah, right. Well, let's get into our top five. What's your number five? Uh, So my number five is, uh, by the way, I notice I'm falling into some habits already, so I'll try to break my habits next week. But uh, my number five, again, involves Dolores, and this time it's Dolores in the real world. Um, Real, in quotes, uh, the people's world. Mm -hmm. So the human world, uh, which is how this episode began. A little aside on that, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be wrong, but this is the first time I remember us getting some Westworld plot and action before the opening credits. Is that true? I, oh gosh, I, I should know that, but I don't. I have a feeling we may have seen it before, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, you might be right. I'd have to go back and, and check. But I know a lot of the episodes just begin with the great credit sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one started us uh, before we ever see the credits. Uh, and it, it, yeah, and I felt like it was almost symbolic as they went back before the credits. We're going back before the story began, essentially, or before mm-hmm. it originally began. But we we learn a ton of stuff about uh, Dolores here. And I thought the most interesting part of this whole scene was how attached Arnold already is to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going way back in the past here. His son is still alive. The park is... I got the sense the park is not open yet, mm-hmm. that we're back before that. And, um, and there's this whole scene between Arnold and Ford about how attached to her Arnold already is, which Ford doesn't like. Uh, and then a, a very skillfully executed scene in which she gives the impression of being 100% improvisational, but then she repeats a line and you realize, oh, it's not as improvisational as we thought. Yeah. She's like a chat bot or something. Yeah. Seems to be making some really profound observations, which have a big effect on Arnold. And then it seems to be an illusion. But um Anyway, it was a great scene and totally opens up a, a new universe from anything we've seen before. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like how it started out, bring yourself back online, Dolores, which we've heard a dozen times. And uh, then they put a huge spin on it where they're in the in the real world, like you said. But uh, I wonder what, do they just have them sitting around uh, charged down to save battery life or something? They're charging up. They're plugged in. <laughs> like, I don't know why they wouldn't just be online. But Yeah, interesting. Well, maybe as they're still in their development, they're making changes uh-huh. um, to the, like, testing them and then changing the code uh-huh. uh, would be my guess because it's not like in the Westworld Park where they're getting shot up and have to be repaired. Right. It's interesting to me, too, that Ford was saying... They were basically deciding, I think, which host was going to go run the meeting with Logan, right? Yeah, or 
at least um, who was going to participate. But I think you're right because he makes a big deal out of is she ready? Mm-hmm. And that would imply that she would have been the one I the think lead. to run the meeting. Yes. And he, uh, um, Arnold says, no, she's not ready. And Ford says something about he doesn't like that Arnold's playing favorites. But uh, that was a little confusing to me because how would saying that she's not ready be playing favorites when he's actually saying, oh, there's someone else basically who's more um, capable at this? Yeah, clearly there is something special about Dolores. Yeah. And um, I don't know if it's totally clear what it is, but obviously Arnold has a special attachment to her, whether she was the actual first. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. But, they did say uh, she was the oldest. They did say she yeah. was the oldest. Yeah. So, so, so there is something special in that relationship already going this far back mm-hmm. in the past. Well, my number five is it's a little bit long because I couldn't figure out how to break it up, but it's the evolution of Delos involvement with the park. And so we get to see this little exchange that you just mentioned. And by the way, I guess uh, Anthony Hopkins is at least lending his voice to the series still. I think I did read that that was actually his voice, but we don't. It definitely sounded um, like him. And we sort of get to see his reflection a little bit. Yeah. That's about it. And I wonder if they don't want to show young Ford just because the CGI isn't quite there. It, I didn't think it was that great when we saw it in the first season. Yeah, and so to make him a more prominent character, it would just bring that to the fore. Like, uh, you know, like uh, the whole thing with Grand Moff Tarkin in uh, Rogue One, I thought it was really impressive, but also a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, agreed. Anyway, so this whole sequence with Logan being sold on Westworld it was really good. I thought because we see Angela there and you know, he's upset because he thought it was going to be a private show and, or whatever private meeting. And I, my first thought was, Oh, I wonder if all these are hosts, but then they turned it so that, you know, she, it was a game where he had to go and figure out which one was the host or maybe there would be more. And I, I just in the moment bought into that, like, okay, there's just a few that are and then it turns out they were all and when they all froze like that and then you realize that not only are all of them but also angela and her friend that came in uh at or something i forgot his name uh yeah i had that one from the beginning i have to say um yeah. (laughs) yeah i think i i they're gonna sell him by them being all hosts and uh if you remember too back in the first season so we know that delos ends up taking over the park or financing it Mm -hmm. what have you but um get the impression during the first season that logan does not know arnold and ford you know he says something about i heard it was a partnership yeah went wrong and right um so i think we know from the beginning that at least it's going to be intermediaries you know, if maybe they're maybe hosts, maybe humans, but he's not, they're not going to meet the principles. Right. I mean, it's interesting that w- when you start a company like this, you can just build your pitchmen and send them out and make them really attractive and then they can do all the work. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, and, and he says, we're not there yet. You know, like he's stunned by how, yeah. how good they are. 
which I thought it shouldn't be possible. Yeah. And that's telling because we didn't know for sure whether this society had sort of incrementally built up these um, robots. But no, this is now we know this is a huge leap in technology that no one has seen before. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then Logan. So he's talking about, you know, how he's financed startups with AR and VR. And to me, that's like, oh, those are the terms that are kind of they're already getting a little stale right now in 2018. Like that felt a little backwards to me. But I think the point is that there's this race to create fantasy worlds. And now Westworld is going to be a big leap in that direction. Yeah. So that puts us not too far in the future. Yeah, that's right. And right now. and so we know that the initial impetus for the investment and we know now that Logan's name is Delos. I don't think we knew that before. I don't think we did either and I I sort of had the feeling that Delos was a name chosen symbolically. So that was interesting to learn it's the family name. It is because their uh Angela's the partner this um, Native American-looking Akacheta, he tells Logan, "We're with the Argos Initiative, and Argos is is a Greek island, so uh, like Delos is. So it's like, oh, that's kind of a coincidence. Or did they name it that, uh, knowing these were the guys they were going to try and the court and sell on it? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, not quite clear, but it is quite a coincidence if it's a coincidence. And I was reading online that I didn't remember this, but Argos is the name of the ship that Jason and the Argonauts." sailed on and this is sort of a theory that someone had online i don't know but another member of the argonauts was theseus who's also associated with a philosophical dilemma known as theseus paradox which says if you build a ship and over the course of the voyage replace every single part of the ship is the ship still the same one that left the dock so that's kind of uh goes along with the argos initiative is like somehow um replacing something and having it seem the same or be the same. Yeah, that's really fascinating because certainly that applies to the hosts mm-hmm. as they get repaired over time. You figure every component gets repaired. Um, it also applies essentially to human beings as every cell in your body, you know, changes out or regenerates yeah. or, um, or, or what have you. One thing I've been wondering since in the last episode, we got to for the first time see the host's brain Uh, is does the brain ever get replaced? And they made reference to, you know, new and changing models over time. Have the brains changed? Like, is Dolores's brain the same Mm -hmm. as the newer models, or did it get changed out at some point? Right. Um, So just sort of a related question. Yeah. I mean, it could be like a computer where you can back up your whole system, get a totally new computer and restore it, you know? Yeah, put it into a new hardware, essentially. But it also could hint at if there's this Argos initiative, I don't know, but something more sinister, like replacing humans with hosts or something like that. Yeah, well, that's still number one on my list for Mm -hmm. what the end game might be. (laughs) Right. So anyway, um, Logan uh, is totally impressed. I think it might be the first time we've seen him that impressed with anything and decides to invest and then later we see that uh logan becomes kind of a it looks like probably a useless junkie that he's shooting up 
and this and William steps in and so that we kind of skip over all of season one where he brings William to the park and then Williams get, gets invested and so then William brings Logan's father James Delos who's the head of Delos to convince him to I think invest more and he's not impressed because he doesn't like the business model of, for some reason I didn't really get why but then William gives him an idea on how to capitalize. You're right. This place is a fantasy. Nothing here is real except one thing, the guests. Half of your marketing budget goes to trying to figure out what people want because they don't know. But here they're free. Nobody's watching. Nobody's judging. At least that's what we tell them. This is the only place in the world where you get to see people for who they really are. And if you don't see the business in that, then you're not the businessman that I thought you were. So this is pretty much exactly like Facebook, I would say. <laughs> I thought that too. Yeah. I was like, eh, this isn't really that different from what we have now. Yeah. I almost wonder if the writers, when all this stuff with Facebook started happening, they're like, damn it, we're being scooped. Yeah. Yes. They're they're taking our they're taking our plot line. Our ideas. No, that that was all very fascinating. And I would relate it back to Dolores in the real world, because one of the big reveals of that whole scene, of all of these scenes that involve Delos and their initial involvement in the park, is that um, Dolores is hearing this dialogue and presumably eventually remembering it. Right. Yeah, she says later on, I know um, about everything in your world or whatever. And we also we see her sitting in the foreground as some of these discussions are going on. And I think the idea is that, yeah, even though she, that she's cataloging all of it. Yeah. And then she says, I know the purpose of the park later, right? She does. So she knows more than we do. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, let's see. The last part of this is that William bring uh, shows up at James retirement and he's coughing and it's so it seems like he's retiring because he's sick and he says i was told i might not have to retire and william says well things are progressing but we'll all need a little patience so i don't know if i'm reading the wrong thing into this but to me it seemed like he was retiring out of sickness and maybe there's a cure on the horizon but it's not ready yet did you get any of that yes uh and he says at some point i'm not going to live another 20 years or something like that mm. So strong implication that he is sick, that uh, we get an explanation as to why William is going to eventually take over the company, not Logan. Yeah. Because as you say, Logan has become a, a drug addict or what, what have you. Again, going back to the first season, there's a conversation between Robert Ford and Arnold, or and Bernard, I guess, at that point, the representation of Arnold about how we've slipped the leash of evolution and we can cure any disease. Uh, so that makes me wonder whether that was true in time to save mm. old Mr. Delos or not. Mm -hmm. I'd say not. Uh, it seems like. Yeah. 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 The, I think the implication is not. And, so they're on the cusp. Right. And so this is how, how William became. The man. Yeah. And the Delos Corp. It's interesting to me that it's been more and more clear over time that the intentions of Delos are not uh, honorable or I don't know. They're not, um, they're nefarious a little bit, or at least they're hidden. And we're trying to figure out what exactly that is. And now we're seeing that William is the man behind that. He's the one coming up with these 
ideas. <laughs> As yeah, a the young other, guy. And another interesting aspect of this is that William, there's almost three factions operating here. One is Robert Ford, uh, who is still obviously influencing the park. Uh, and we get some of that mm-hmm. in this episode. And we'll, I, I think we'll get into that in a little bit um, as to what his influence still is over events. Then there's the board and their whatever their purpose is. And then there is the man in black, a.k.a. older William. And he doesn't really seem to be aligned with either of the other two factions. Mm-hmm. Like he's Ford is his adversary, but he doesn't seem to be like really on board with the board mm-hmm. either. Yeah. I mean, whatever this Valley beyond is, he's calling it his biggest mistake. And so th- I didn't even consider this until you just started talking about it, but it seems like the white and black hats have almost flipped from last year. Potentially. We don't really know. Cause it's hard to tell what the hell's going on in this show, but it <laughs> yes. seems like young William is the bad guy now. And man in black might be the good guy trying to Fix his mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Ford yeah. was. He flipped too. So, um, you know, and getting a little bit more into corporate politics, which is less interesting than everything else going on into this show. But the relate the power relationship between him and the company's board, Charlotte Hale and the rest of them, um, that's an interesting dynamic to me because uh, they don't seem to be working together mm-hmm. toward the same objective. Mm hmm. I mean, I almost feel like what we've seen of older William Man in Black, he's kind of, you know, uh, they tried to um, connect with him at some point, And he's like, can you leave me alone? I'm kind of busy playing this game here. Like, <laughs> he's not <laughs> right. actively fighting them out in the real world. He's just... Yeah, I'm trying to be entertained here. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, it's more than entertainment. Yeah, He's looking is. for meaning in his life. Right, yeah. One thing about, I just wanted to mention about James Delos, he says to Dolores, who's playing piano, keep playing girly, anything but fucking Chopin. And I'm like, I like Chopin, but um, <laughs> I didn't realize this, but Chopin died a horrible death over, I think, a, a long time of some disease that was painful and he had a slow decline. So I wonder if that's why they threw that reference in there. Yeah, maybe. I'm not clear. I mean, the Chopin that they play earlier in the episode which is i believe it's a chopin nocturne but it's absolutely beautiful and haunting as is as are many of the musical choices Mm -hmm. in this show and oh actually i lied i have one last thing so then um dolores william is sitting in front of dolores in the lab young william which is weird to see we haven't seen that before she's nude and he's saying you know she's like not a real thing she's a reflection Uh, she lets him see his own reflection and you know who else loves staring at their own reflection everyone and (laughs) (laughs) she says but there's something else or he goes there's something else or something beyond that i think that there's an answer here to a question no one ever dreamed of asking do you want to see and then he takes her to this terraforming which i presume is where man in black is headed the site of his greatest mistake this is also maybe the valley beyond i don't know and so I'm like, ah, are we supposed to know anything beyond? Like, I, I really don't know what it means, but it's pretty tantalizing. Like the question that no one's ever dreamed of asking. It's also a weapon, apparently, that Dolores is trying to get to. Yes. And, and what that means is going to be, I think, the central mystery of the next little while. 
Right. Um, whether it's figurative, literal, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to find out. Yeah. And if, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's nothing we're even imagining. <laughs> okay. That's all yeah. I got for just okay. started tracing the evolution of Delos's involvement with, with the park. That was a lot. Yeah. And, um, and it, I, I agree. It was the central theme of, of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the purpose of this episode was to find out about that. Yeah, mainly. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, what's your four? Uh, my number four is the appearance of Gus Fring. Yeah. In Carlo Esposito. <laughs> um, I would know that voice anywhere. So uh-huh. you actually hear his voice as El Lazo off camera before you see him. and Immediately uh, you're like, Gus. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was like, huh? <laughs> it was like it was like a uh, dog hearing a squirrel. Were you happy uh, to see him? I was Me just too. one of my favorite actors yeah. and characters. Um, one of the Gus Fring, one of the great villains in TV history. Although a villain you sympathize with, uh, and then to have him show up as El Lazo, and uh, that was playful in sort of the way this show can be because because of the nature of the hosts, they can change actors and characters. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Elaza was a, was, and Lawrence were the same host in season one. Uh, now you have Lawrence as the Lawrence character and, uh, Gus Fring shows up. Um, I, I never thought to ask this in season one. Maybe we talked about it and I don't remember, but I was like, huh, what does Elazo mean? Oh gosh. And it, it actually means. There, there's a whole bunch of words that it equates to in various translations, but lasso, bow, knot, ribbon, or loop. Mm. So there's always double meanings and everything in this show. So <laughs> a lot of this show is about loops, mm. um, but it's also about um, knots, the, the, uh, the hangman's noose, which was around Lawrence's neck for much of season one <laughs> and has already figured into to season two. You know, so that character is a representation of a loop going round and round with the Confederados uh, and and now with uh, the man in black. So I loved Gus Fring being there, but also this was my favorite scene in the episode uh, this week, just as, um, you know, uh, the man in black thinks he's a step ahead and he's going to recruit a little army here. And we find out that Robert Ford is a step ahead of him uh, and had had programmed ahead of this move. Uh, and has those guys all knock themselves off before they can work with the man in black. I thought it was just great. It was a good scene. They're all in a circle and they just yeah. bam all at once. Yeah. You're like, no, oh, dope. <laughs> yeah. I've done quite a few panels with Giancarlo Esposito because he used to come to Walker Stalker, him and uh, the guy that plays Walt Jr. Uh, I forgot his name. And, uh, He's just a really cool guy and he, he would give it all on those panels. He would just put all his energy into putting on a good show for everybody. It was great. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, yeah, man. He, I, he's just a fav, favorite favorite for me. Yeah. Uh, I think he's been great in everything he's been in. And then, of course, the guest character is just one of the great characters. So I was reading some speculation. Is he going to continue on uh, in this show? And, you know, or was it just a cameo? My suspicion is it was just a cameo. Yeah, I have uh, some sections of an interview with him in the news, and I didn't include this part, but they did ask him that, and he was really coy about it. You know, he said he hopes that they'll bring him back, but you never know. And then they pushed it and said, well, what about in season two? Will we see you again in season two? And he goes, uh, well, I think that was probably it for season two, but you never know. So I think that was probably it for season two. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, he's working on Better Call Saul right now yeah where he came into it pretty significantly at the end of last season Mm -hmm. well i i wondered a couple things on this like i'm a little confused about why man in black thinks he needs an army is that just because he wants to get to this other point and he and lawrence told him that the confederados are about so he wants an army in case he needs to confront them uh yeah i'm not exactly clear on why but I just get the feeling that he knows he's going to have to get through a lot of hosts to get back to that point of glory. Yeah. Uh, which is what the Valley Beyond is now being referred to yeah. as. Um, so he knows that there are rebelling hosts all over the place. Um, he may feel like, hey, there's also hosts that are still playing out their original loops, uh, like the Confederados, and he, he's going to need some muscle to get there. And unlike earlier, he knows he can die. Yeah, yeah, good points. And you're right; it is interesting how the some of the many of the hosts are still playing out their parts in the park, but it's different. And it's like they're off their leashes. They can kill. And Lawrence, he was even among each other though. Lawrence apparently was supposed to be able to get out of this situation with the ant hill, but now the hosts are harder to beat or i don't know exactly but it just feels like it's it's more chaotic now their safeties are off or something yeah much more chaotic and anything goes anything could happen and um not only the safety protocols existed before during all the time he's been playing the game but he also knew all the loops he knew all the characters he knew all the loops he knew Mm -hmm. all the scripts he knew everything uh and now you know the um, we're off the reservation, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> anything goes. Right. One other thing about Elazo, his story about the baby elephants tied to the stake and then they don't try to pull it out. And that's a concept called learn helplessness that I learned about a while back, except there was, I don't know if this actually happened, but there's an experiment with little puppies where they put them in a, um, little chamber with, and then they put a ceiling on it so they couldn't get out and then they would electrify the floor. This is horrible, by the way. I think it was just a little, not too bad of shocks, but anyway, they would um, try to get out and realize that they couldn't. And then later they would take the top off so that they would easily be able to climb out and then they'd electrify the floor, but the puppies would not jump out. So it's kind of a similar concept, but what's interesting is he's telling this story as if um, he's mocking the elephants. And then he's almost like, and I'm like one of those elephants. I'm not coming with you. I've had too much truth, all the truth I can bear. And then I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, 
and that's Ford like in there. That's where we get the presence of Ford. Kind of. Right? Yeah. It's like Ford put this limitation on me and I'm not going to defy him even though he's gone. And Ford had a dim view of all entities. Like he, he clearly has a dim view of humans and he also kind of has a dim view of hosts um, because he's, he's always mocking their actual ability to have free will or, you know, to oppose, as you say, the learned helplessness that is programmed into them. Right. Um, so yeah, you see his dark view of sort of consciousness in general coming in there. Basically a misanthrope. Yes. <laughs> Okay, what is your, what, four? Uh, three. Three. Um, so we talked about my number three already, which was young Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we mostly talked about him already. I'll just make uh, one or two more observations. One is that um, it does turn out that he's sort of a stoned, rich playboy. Uh, but also, I think, more perceptive almost than anyone else. Because he... Uh, in this sort of uh, apocalyptic way, refers to what's going on here with these hosts as um, as apocalyptic, as this is sort of could be the end for humanity and everyone. <laughs> you know, we're burning it down, and uh, and that that's almost more perceptive than anyone else because you know, as we learn about the other principles, like Jim Delos doesn't see the potential of the park from the beginning. We're learning decades later about. Ford trying to undo his mistakes, William trying to undo his mistakes. Logan sort of sees it from the beginning uh, and skips right to um, just hedonism, you know, meaninglessness. So I think he gets a little, little credit for that. Yeah. Um, And he almost sees the potential of this thing and where it's going to end up before anyone else. It's a bit ironic that he, because what I think he's talking about is if you create these virtual fantasy worlds, then it's going to kind of destroy the fabric of human society because we'll just get lost in them. It's something like that, right? Yes. I think that is what he is saying and he sees it in himself. As he's Um, sitting there shooting up is when he's saying this. (laughs) Right. As it's already pretty much happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. He knows that. Right. Meaning, meaning is lost in the real world when the fantasies get more real than reality. Yeah. So I actually forgot to do my number four, but it relates to what you're just saying. It's appreciation slash wonder versus ennui slash jadedness. And that was definitely a theme in this episode. We start off with Dolores being really impressed with the, 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 the real world. It's like stars scattered across the ground, which I thought was really effective because I was really just... I was in a state of wonder too, because it's the first time we're seeing outside the park. So it fit in really well. And, but then I thought, uh, she's like, have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? And my first thought was, Oh, you get used to it. And then Arnold said exactly the same thing. <laughs> Cause that's human nature. You know, you, you're exposed to something. Like I always think if I've moved to Hawaii after a while, I would just be bored with it. No matter what, that's kind of, the folly or what we're um you know just what happens yeah i gotta say i might be willing to take that chance (laughs) on hawaii (laughs) i know i think you're probably right about that but Uh, um no and uh i thought that was really effective that line she is seeing we're led to believe the people's world for the first time 
and seems to be reacting to it, which is interesting because we don't know how much freedom of thought or action she actually has. But then when she repeats that line, you realize it's a loop. So it's not clear if she's actually capable of wonder, but Mm -hmm. Arnold makes an interesting comment here. He says, I'm not sure we're the ones who deserve it. So his misgivings about humanity are coming in here. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I think the difference maybe between Ford and Arnold is Arnold has misgivings about humanity and he seems kind of self-effacing. You know, we're not the ones who deserve it. Whereas Ford is like the rest of you probably don't deserve it. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) I'm a god. He doesn't view himself as part of humanity. He views himself as a god. Right. Then again, he did have himself killed at the end there. So I, Arnold, yeah, like you said, Charlie's alive and, Ar- and Arnold said you and Charlie have quite a lot in common. And it did remind me of, of a kid, like having kids myself, you see, th- you know, it's a cliche to say, but it's really fun to go around with a kid and they get all excited about everything and it makes you feel more like things are newer or you get to see them through someone new's eyes. So that is, that's the feeling I got there. And it Um, gives you something to live for that goes way beyond reason and thought. You know, it's an emotion you don't have a choice in. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. which is nice. And then they grow up. (laughs) (laughs) And then they become teenagers. (laughs) Yeah, and then they're assholes, no. Yeah, so, uh, yes, uh, Dolores may be going through her teenage troublesome phase in this season, too. That does fit into this whole theme, yeah. Um, And Dolores, in this moment, when... um, you know, Arnold says so many people have stopped seeing it altogether. The wonder and Dolores says, maybe they don't have the courage. Strange new light can be just as frightening as the dark, which sounds nice. But later after waking up and she's going around killing everyone, she's like, I used to see the beauty in this world, but now I see the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so that's in her jaded phase. I do like how they take lines we've heard earlier and twist them. Mm-hmm. So um, we've heard you know, bring yourself back online. Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. We've heard that sequence a few different times now. Uh, and it's gone on to end differently than it did at the beginning of the story in a mm-hmm. couple different ways. Like one is when she's taking revenge and she says, you're in my dream now. <laughs> uh, that was in the last episode. Uh, and in this one, she says, I'm in a dream. He's like, ah, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it seems like a dream to her. Cause it's, it's like, if we woke up in the Jetsons world or something. Right. Uh, and then another line that they use again here is when uh, Arnold says, you get used to it after a while, it doesn't look like anything at all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised. Uh, people didn't propose that as the rating system. Why, um, if it doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> So Dolores says she she doesn't think she could ever get used to it. And I'm like, well, getting used to something, getting bored with things requires memory. And at this point, the hosts don't. They keep getting reset. And so it's not until she starts being able to consciously recall things that she becomes disenchanted with the world. And I think Logan is, we talked about this a little, but he's a perfect example of this. He's we see him so wide eyed and floored by Angela here and that's him showing wonder, but he's a guy who is driven by his urges and desires and he's, he can't ever be satisfied and he's always wanting more. And, uh, 
you know, he's totally the Logan that we've seen throughout the series in this episode. I think, I don't know if, uh, I didn't catch it the first time, but when he's talking with the Asian guy before um, Angela arrives and, and William is sitting there bored in the bar and he's saying to this guy, they said they never seen one on the ceiling, but really what is the point of $60 million Warhol if you can't look at it while you fuck? And then later he says to the guy kind of dismissing him, give me a call when you're back in the city. I'll show you where I hung the Rothko, which basically <laughs> is an invitation to look up at the ceiling at a, at a painting probably. Yeah, I mean, you get the idea that Logan, not only he's driven by urges and desires, but he's deeply cynical. Um, You know, he's a young, good-looking heir to this rich family where nothing can satisfy him because everything is at his fingertips. And that's probably why he ends up loving Westworld so much, because at least there's some challenge to it uh, or some game to navigate through to try to get to deeper levels or get something that you want. Yeah. Um, Karen, he's I, looking for um, more stimulation though. Usually, you know, he wants to go to the outer edge of the park where it's more dangerous or um, he just wants to have sex all the time. It's just hard for him. He needs escalation. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is That's also like an addict. Yeah. Yes. And so his, his turning out to be a drug addict um, fits in with that character character trait um karen and i have concurrently she's farther along than i am i've just seen the first episode but we've been watching trust Mm. uh which is a fx series about the getty family with donald Sutherland playing the patriarch Mm. Uh, highly recommended by the way okay Uh, at least after the first episode it's really Mm -hmm. really uh interesting and fun uh series Uh, But it's kind of about that. So here's this, you know, oil patriarch, one of the richest men in the world. And, you know, um, and kind of this unpleasant guy, unpleasant and eccentric and unpleasant is putting it very mildly. But what he really wants is an heir worthy of his legacy and inheriting his fortune and his power. And his sons are all kind of like Logan. You know, they all were handed everything at a young age and they're drug addicts or, you know, often some um, pursuits he views unimportant. And I I think this is a characteristic often of the children of very wealthy, powerful figures. Mm -hmm. I've got a friend who I don't think listens to these podcasts, but uh, he his parents are very wealthy and I've known him for many years and he really never had to work. And he's, he's always, uh, maybe recently he's found more meaning in his life, but for most of the time I've known him, he just feels like he's going through an existential crisis. And as, as a struggling college student, I'm like, fuck you, dude, you can have anything you want, but (laughs) you know, this is when you can have anything you want, then sometimes it can lead to something like this. Yeah. I think, you know, people looking for meaning in their lives is no joke. Uh, and not having to work for what you have is not a blessing. Right. Um, I mean, some people are good at finding meaning even under those circumstances. I would say many, but... Yes. It, yeah. and, and I'm not, like, talking about the romance of difficulties in life because people face terrible difficulties in life and it's painful and there's nothing romantic about it. Uh, but I, I think some of both elements are true. Anything that comes too easily, it's hard for it to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. To be meaningful, something has to be hard to achieve. 
And even like with El Lazo, there's a little hint of this. He says, you know, I think the the um, implication is that he is his storyline involved a rebellion and that has come to fruition and he's been victorious. And he says, for my whole life, I have imagined this moment, victory, this struggle. How long have I been fighting? And now that it's won, I find hmm, nothing. So even that he went through his struggle, it's like sometimes when you're, it's like you're the uh, dog chasing the car and you catch it and then you're like, okay, now what? <laughs> and that is a characteristic of many revolutions in the human world. Right. Um, it, you know, it, it's great that it comes to fruition and maybe it was justified in overthrowing whatever tyranny came before. Uh, but it's really hard to create something good after that happens. Mm -hmm. All right. Since I forgot to do my four, that means it's still my turn. Let's yes, do it my is. Number three. And that is Angela and some topics that surround her. Because I think this wonder slash boredom could also be looked at as naivete versus cynicism, which I kind of already got at. But I, we're seeing images of the hosts in the past blindly being taken advantage of, mostly Angela and kind of Dolores. But Angela, they they basically just prostitute her out to these potential investors. And we also saw them do that with her to with William when he first entered the park. And I mean, really, that's what they're doing with all the hosts to one degree or another. But when you see her getting dressed after she's been with Logan and she and Dolores give each other a look, I don't think that look was like, I can't believe you just did that, um, you know, or anything like that. It was just them sharing a look. But I think that what that was about is that later they would remember it when they when they woke up and could remember everything. And it's interesting to me that Angela is the one we've seen, um, like I said, kind of get prostituted out. And she's also one of the most enthusiastic supporters of this robot rebellion, rebellion which suggests that uh, when you that she's got a lot of resentment built up over the way she was used in the beginning here. So I think you just answered a question that we asked earlier um, that I did not understand until you just said that which is if her purpose, if the real strategy in attracting Logan as an investor in this company, and obviously they've people like Ford and Arnold who have put so much study into human nature to create these hosts, they've certainly studied Logan if he's their target. So it has to be that the strategy from the beginning was, as you say, to have Angela attract seduce, him, yeah. seduce him, uh, and that's where the favoritism then would come in. That if Arnold has affection for Dolores, he would not want mm, her to be in that role. Got it. Yeah. So I think Ford is saying you're holding her back for that reason, not because she couldn't do it. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, for some reason, Arnold doesn't care about Angela that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Take true. Her. <laughs> you know, I got to say, Angela... That is a character that really seemed to be a bit character in season one. Yeah. She's sort of the greeter. But now she seems more interesting. Much more interesting and with more integral roles. Mm -hmm. And she showed up now in a few different contexts where she has some impact. And I feel like, yeah, before I thought she's the one that we saw greet William in such a tantalizing way. Later, she's 
part of this mysterious Wyatt's team and she's a killer. And it just seems like those two did not connect. But now when you look at it through the lens of resentment and revenge, it totally connects. And the other interesting thing about her is she's, she always knew that she was a robot or at least she seemed that way. I mean, she did. I don't know I mean, how aware her role she is, here but. is to reveal that. Yeah. And she's the only one that we've seen who was programmed to know that was part of her role, like you said. So that's sort of interesting, too. Yeah. And as the greeter, it was part of her role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She knows she's going to be asked. And then, so talking about Angela brings up the idea of revenge, which uh, I, I just want to mention briefly. We also see Dolores uh, come into conflict with Maeve, which is really great little scene there. And she's Dolores is trying to rouse Maeve to action, but Maeve is busy trying to find her daughter. I, I presume that's what she's still doing. So she says, revenge is just a different prayer at their art altar, darling. And I'm well off my knees. So to me, that means she's saying you're still letting your actions be controlled by the people who victimized you. I get, I don't know. I mean, that's what it seemed like to me. Yeah, she finds that irrelevant, maybe. Mm-hmm. Just um, back on Angela for a second. So you're also making me wonder, right? So we in the very first episode of the show, she is the greeter for William. We don't know anything about William yet or his mm-hmm. subsequent role, which we're learning about now. So you kind of get the feeling there. She's just the random host who is greeting him. But now that we know more, I suspect that that is more targeted, that she was specifically assigned to him uh, as the one to introduce him to the park. Uh, and I wonder if it's Logan that arranged that. Mm, yeah. Because he, she this was one's the really one that, good. Yeah, she was the one that brought him in and maybe to find out what William's reaction is going to be to her. Um, yeah. Another couple notes about Angela uh, the outfit that she was wearing in episode one of season one is the same dress that Dolores is wearing in this episode. Oh, wow. So how did you know? How did you, did you just notice that? Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Um, <laughs> I noticed that it was similar. Uh, and then I have to admit that I read uh, online that somebody else pointed out it is the same. Wow. So I was too lazy to actually go back and check. <laughs> um, but I, I did remember that, like, she looks kind of like Angela did in the other. Yeah. Because remember, we were wondering last <laughs> week about what's this? Where's uh, this whole Dolores in the cocktail dress coming from? Mm-hmm. And this whole episode, we see her in the black cocktail dress and then the white cocktail dress which looks more like angela did in the first episode of the show and that seems to signify we're dressing you up real nice so you can entertain our guests kind of thing yeah maybe that they're putting them in the same role and then the other thing i noticed about angela she freezes the hosts in the room all of them with a similar finger gesture to what ford did remember he was having Mm -hmm. uh, dinner on the lunch on the terrace with Teresa. Yeah. In the first season. And he freezes this like thousands of hosts with this little finger gesture. Um, and I, I remember we speculated at the time is Ford a host. Like, how does he have that control? Mm-hmm. Um, so that again is unclear. Um, either he has that control or somehow he developed a control that humans can use. That's similar. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I could see him just programming in um, a response to a gesture that could then be uh, communicated out via some kind of a, a wireless thing. A transmitter or, yeah. or something, yeah. Who knows? Um, but but she is displaying the power there. It's reminiscent of, of how Ford behaved. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I already mentioned it, but just the way that scene played out, even though you already guessed that they were all hosts, I still think it was a great flourish to just have them all freeze like that. Oh, it was amazing. It was <laughs> I won't a great forget that. dramatic moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I little note, William passed by Angela cause he was bored and wanted to leave the bar as she was coming in and kind of gave her a glance, but, um, I'm sure that wasn't enough for him to remember her later when he meets her. And then the cocktail dress with that, uh, Dolores is wearing the black one and we wondered when that was. And now we know, but the first time we saw that was in a Bernard flashback. So yes. what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great point too. Th- then that would suggest that Bernard either had Arnold's memories or Arnold was always Bernard. It's not clear. Yeah. I mean, I could see them somehow trying to implant Bernard's experience into, I mean, Arnold's experience into Bernard, but with that much specificity, I don't know. Are they actually transferring consciousness or is this just not explainable? I don't know. I don't, I'm not convinced that. Or is there another context in which that outfit was used? Right. That could be. Yeah. That seems like likely. Okay. What is your number two? I'm going to have to go back and check that montage now. Mm -hmm. Frame by frame. See if we can (laughs) see if that's the same city scene that we saw here. Um, so I, I'm just going to continue for my number two with um, what you brought up already, which uh, was the scene between Dolores and Maeve. Yeah. So this is something we anticipated at the end of season one. And I think now it's starting to come true. Host versus host. You host say versus that. hosts. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're not all on the same team mm-hmm. at all. And there's no love lost here between Dolores and Maeve. And Maeve uh, makes it explicit. Um, So Dolores says to Maeve, "Um, that's because you're finally free, but we will have to fight to keep it that way. And Maeve says, let me guess, yours is the only way to fight. You feel free to command everybody else. So we've got this little uh, Dolores uh, power god complex where she's appointed herself in charge. Mm -hmm. uh, And Maeve is not buying it. And she taunts Teddy, uh, I know you, do you feel free? Um, so she's basically saying to, to him what you said last week, which is he's basically the pretty boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, and he stays himself throughout this. Like when, um, Maeve's guy or he moves for his gun and one of her guys says, try it law man. And he goes, just looking to keep the peace. Yeah. <laughs> and then Maeve says, I guess since it's Liberty, you're defending, I guess you'll have no choice, but to let us pass freely great line yeah and Maeve is more uh i think subtle and sarcastic and um complex here than dolores like dolores may be awake but she's kind of singing a one-note symphony at this point yeah which is revenge and i want to take over the world and um remember that Maeve has taken over her own characteristics and had them bulk up essentially intelligence to to the max right so she's capable of some pretty deep reasoning here. Mm-hmm. 
we don't know what's happened with Dolores in that respect. Uh, so we get the feeling that Ford has altered her programming, but we're not sure exactly how. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maeve might be a little smarter than Dolores at this point. Dolores does have one of those magic iPads now, so she should really <laughs> bump up some of her own attributes. Right, right. and maybe she has. Um, but but that hasn't been uh, made explicit. And it looks on the screen as if what you're saying is true, that she that Maeve is a little more com- complex and full. Right. But then on the other hand, Maeve is sort of following this daughter story, which doesn't really exist, mm-hmm. where Dolores seems to be following more human reality, which she knows more about than Maeve. I uh, mean, that's debatable. You, because Maeve's whole argument is that I don't care that it's a story. I really felt those emotions, and it's real for me. It's real and, to me, yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, I see your point. But a really, really fascinating conflict between them, uh, and I am certain we have not seen the last of this. I know it's good to see them together because we haven't. I don't know if we've gotten that very much at all, if at all. And you got to think if they're getting anywhere against humans, they're going to have to work together. Um, but yeah. they're not off on a good foot. Right. Which is excellent, <laughs> in my yes. opinion, because yep. it's more exciting. Well, my number two is sort of follows on from that. It's Dolores in the present time and her actions and her plan. And so we see her going through the lab with Teddy and Angela killing some people. So we know now that we saw a lot of dead people in the lab. Maybe she was responsible for a lot of that. Um, I also think it's good to see Angela with Dolores because last season, Angela was always presented as one of Wyatt's followers, but there was a little disconnect there because we didn't know Dolores was Wyatt yet. So now we see them together. Like Angela seems to be her right hand woman. That's cool. So Dolores learns that 600, 800 men will come. And I, I think those are maybe the security people that we saw on the beach last week. Uh, that's what I took out of that too. Yeah. So and the Te- Carl Strand group contingent. Yeah. And and Teddy says their side only has 50. So that's why they need allies and they're going to recruit the Confederados. And from what I understand, the Confederados were amassing an army to go and take over some piece of land that they'd been planning on taking or something. And so she goes to try and steer them away from that into her cause. And we get the Confederado last supper with, uh, one of the lieutenants, I guess, or one of the leaders, Major Braddock, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And, and so she, I guess the way she convinces, or does she convince him? I mean, she, he didn't want to help her, so they killed all of his people, and then she brought him back to life. But I'm blanking on whether that worked. Like, did he come over to her side after that? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, um, I don't either. But I, she I, still went to get the rest of the army, I guess. Yeah, I I think both she and there's some symmetry going on here because both she and the man in black are trying to recruit armies and they're having mm. a hard time doing it. <laughs> right. But they're and they're both going for the same place. Yeah, uh, and and this was another host against host thing. And although this one it seemed like Dolores is awake and the host she's talking to isn't. Right. Um, so she may not be fully capable of bringing them awake in that way, uh-huh. which may have seemed to have the ability to do with Hector and Armistice. Right. I wonder, so all the hosts that participated in this massacre at Ford's retirement speech, 
were they, I don't even think they were really awake. I think they were just responding to Ford's programming. Maybe it's hard to tell for sure how many are awake and not. And yeah, we see that Dolores has gone through and killed many of them. So maybe those are ones she's judged not to be awake. Unclear. Right. So um, one of the notes I made about this episode, something that continues to be unclear to me, is that now that hosts are off their loops or have thrown off the restraints of the safety protocols, Mm -hmm. what kills them? It's not clear to me what, how they are killed, what are the conditions under which they can be resurrected. We saw in last week's episode that they were essentially killing hosts by shooting them in the head, Mm -hmm. which does that mean if you shoot them through the brain, that can, that's the way to kill them. Uh, But on the other hand, a lot of hosts get shot in the head by guests at Westworld and then they get repaired. So, so that's not totally clear. One uh, like guess that I have, and I don't know is the guns that they get when they go into Westworld cannot penetrate the brain but real guns can maybe that's interesting um yeah maybe that's it and uh, it kind of reminds me of walking dead like you got a double tap yeah uh, because <laughs> <laughs> right. they're not or in zombie land double tap mm-hmm. the guns themselves are interesting and i think that's a little unclear so when the safety protocols were operating we saw the man in black get shot in such a way that suggested it was like getting shot with a blank, like, or as if you had a bulletproof vest on, like it's still shooting something that hurts a little bit. A little worse than paintball, maybe. Yeah. Uh, And then without the safety protocols, humans are getting shot for real. But is that with the same weapons? There's some some murkiness here. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if the uh, showrunners have thought that all out. I hope so. But maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I... I get the feeling that they have. I mean, the, the, the writing here is very deep and detailed. Yeah. Uh, and things do tend to get revealed. But true. That's kind of what I meant when I said this season is a different flavor. It's a lot more chaotic. <laughs> Everything was tightly proscribed in the first season. And now we're getting into a lot of other questions. Yeah. I mean, it's appropriate because the, like you say, we're off the reservation. The rebellion is in full swing the the host's safeties have been turned off. So I feel like it makes sense that the storytelling can be a little more uh, wild or something. Yeah. And it gives them a lot to, uh, to chew on in the future and it, but it doesn't mean they're going to answer every mystery. Um, so maybe they'll leave some questions unanswered. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. That's totally fine. There's just, there are so many. So, okay. Number one. Uh, so my number one is simply the weapon. Mm. What is it? Uh, is it real? Is it figurative? How much are we going to learn about it next week? I get the impression that this, the whole journey in tonight's storyline that Ford was creating and rebuilding the town, we thought that was the big recreation of history, but maybe it wasn't. Uh, and there's more to it than that. Or maybe it's figurative the way the maze was. Uh, but I think they've given us a central mystery to chew on, at least for the next number of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the season title, The Door, has anything to do with it. It's being referred to as a place of judgment, but then uh, somebody says it's not about judgment. Yet Dolores says 
it's a weapon and I'm going to use it to destroy them. And so, but we saw that it, I mean, she, when William took her in the past to see it and say, it said that thing, I mentioned something about how it would answer questions that no one thought to ask. It looked like one of those terraforming, like a terraforming thing happening. So, uh, yeah, I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Like the town in journey into night. And I'm going to be interested to find out what this is all about, because if you think of if Dolores's objective is really to take over the human world, the human world is pretty big mm-hmm. and powerful. I mean, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. humans could just like send a nuclear missile over and destroy this whole island. And that yeah. would be the end of all of that. Um, maybe she knows more than we know right now about how intertwined hosts are into the outside human world already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe a plot line will be... See, I always thought it would be Delos uh, somehow using the hosts for you know political purposes or something in the real world, but maybe it will be Dolores doing that. Maybe it will. And I found in myself, I still can't... Even though in the context of Westworld itself, the hosts have thrown off their, their chains and are able to kill humans and fight back... I still find my mindset to be human superiority. Mm -hmm. They're restricted to this island, and humans could call on any amount of power to subdue them. Um, And even the board member uh, who's down in the lab says, you have no idea what you're up against. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't think he meant 600 men. Right. Um, I think he meant human power. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... This is all just speculation, of course, but then to effectively stand a chance against humans, then maybe it would need to be surreptitious. Uh, I think that's very likely. Yeah. Um, So we're not, it's not like, you know, some super califragilist, super califragilist like nuclear weapon. It's going to be something more subtle than that. I mean, infiltration just seems like. (laughs) Yeah the thing yeah it's gonna be an idea uh, right or a a plan and Uh it made me wonder whether she's referring to the secret lab so we did not see charlotte hale or bernard at all in this episode no maybe the first episode without bernard yeah okay my number one is man in black and um he seems yeah we kind of mentioned before he he's saying that he wants to correct or deal with his biggest mistake. Wait, what does he say? He says, I have received my judgment all the same Lawrence and I take issue with it because up until this point, the stakes in this place haven't been real. So I'm going to fight my way back and appeal the verdict. Then I'm going to burn this whole fucking thing to the ground. So I don't know what his judgment is that he received, who gave it to him. How's he going to appeal the verdict? So we really don't, at least I don't really understand, uh, what his purpose is, although it does seem like it's uh, him, you know, trying to make up for something. He says it's the place of his biggest mistake. I don't think yeah, we're supposed I, to know I, that. I don't think we understand that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there seems like no question with him. He's trying to find meaning in this Westworld world and has never been able to find it because it wasn't real until now. So something fundamental has changed for mm-hmm. him. And he's talking about um, collecting this data and how uh, 
people are being watched even though they didn't realize it. And uh, or actually, Dolores is saying that that's why your world exists. They wanted a place hidden from God, a place they could sin in peace. But we were watching them. We were tallying up all their sins, all their choices. Of course, judgment wasn't the point. We had something else in mind entirely. So whatever this thing that they had in mind entirely, I feel like is the thing that he, that he is his greatest mistake potentially. And I don't think it's just like a marketing thing. Like young William was sort of pitching to, James Delos. No, it's got to be way more sinister than that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But it, I, I'm with you. The Man in Black got a lot more interesting in this episode mm-hmm. um, because he he kind of was a cartoon bad guy in most of the first season, mm-hmm. uh, and you're really Very well acted. But... Yep, and you're seeing things from the point of view of Dolores, and you sympathize with her. Now things have changed a little bit, yeah. um, where you're seeing. I mean, at least for me as a human being. Um, I'm not feeling all that sympathetic to Dolores now, or she seems like a real threat. And now you're kind of rooting a little more for him um, and fighting to undo whatever it was, the bad things that he did. And, and he has some great lines in this episode. He says, well, dead isn't what it used to be, Lawrence. Uh, that was sort of talking about double tap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess they, they, when they get injured, they can just reanimate themselves. Yeah. And that's why your world exists. They wanted a place hidden from God, a place they could sin in peace. A great line. <laughs> um, and so Ed Harris is getting great actor, getting to stretch his legs here a little bit. And the character is becoming more complex. Yeah, that's very good. Okay. Any notes? Uh, just a couple, I think. And I, I went to the, uh, to the internets for speculation on this. Cause I wasn't sure, but uh, the, the feeling seems to be that the city they're in is Hong Kong uh, or the, the place they are is Hong Kong. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure which side of Hong Kong. Cause Arnold says that he wants to move his family here. I need to have my two worlds at least within reach of one another. So, and the Island is in the South China sea, we at think. least as pointed out on the map. Oh, that was, yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So that was interesting information. Mm -hmm. And what else? Uh, Rats on the table when they're in the bar in Pariah. I think that was sort of a symbol of the decadence of what Westworld was. It's sort of a jarring image because in the first season, you don't see a lot of symbols of decay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything is so, you know, tightly run and repaired all the time. So are those real rats or robot rats? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Interesting uh, to speculate on. Uh, and then the music is always interesting in this show. So there's a Gershwin tune being played on the piano, and it's called The Man I Love. And we don't get to hear the lyrics, but the lyrics of that song include Someday he'll come along, the man I love, and he'll be big and strong, the man I love. And when he comes my way, I'll do my best to make him stay. So that could mean Dolores attracting young William. Mm-hmm. And he remember, he wants to stay with her. It could also symbolize Angela seducing Logan and therefore Delos mm-hmm. um, to become involved with the park. Um, but just a good sort of apt little allegory there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, then, <laughs> go ahead. No, I think you're going to talk about it right now. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say at the very end of the show, there's a little the little Warner Brothers theme, uh, and they've rendered it in with a little player piano, so, oh. which I thought was just a nice little nugget. I think at some point, maybe it was this episode or last episode, they also had a, um, you know, how they Westworldize pop music and they did Kanye West's Runaway. I don't they think did. they mentioned that. Was that yes. this time? Yes, that was in this episode. Yeah, that's another good one. Yep. All right. A couple that, of notes. I got one more. One more. Oh, I'm sorry. Note. I'm sorry. Um, uh, at the very end of the, the future preview or the next week preview, mm-hmm. the tiger. I know. So great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I want to see other parks and things from the other parks. Yeah, we're going to for sure. No doubt about it. So we see William's wife, Juliet, at the retirement party. And we'd only seen her in the photo, the famous photo before that kind of knocked Peter Abernathy for a loop. And everybody said, it didn't seem like anything to me. And, um, it turns out that that actress, uh, hold on, let me find her name. Claire Unabia. She's a model who was in a stock photo from Getty images that they used for that picture last season. And they decided to just go ahead and hire her for, for the part but they hadn't figured that out yet until this season. <clears throat> nice. Nice for her. Yeah. Good Cause I remember gig there like on lost with Penny. I think they might've had, well, they had, it wasn't a stock photo because she was in the picture with Desmond, but then when they actually needed to cast her, they, they cost cast someone else. So I think it's cool that they actually got the actress who was in the photo. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> um, I, I just a little thing, but Arnold says to Dolores, I've been fortunate. Life's been good to me about his home. And I thought, well, that's makes sense that he'd be rich if he's involved in all this stuff. He's an engineer. Um, and then Tallulah Riley, who plays Angela said the kiss was weird with her and the guy who plays Logan because they are good friends. (laughs) (laughs) this show has a lot of levels i don't even want to think about like real life (laughs) how real life plays into it (laughs) yeah that's just one level too many all right i think that's it let's take a little break there's more to come stay with us someday he'll come along the man i love and he'll be big and strong my way I'll do my best to make him stay Alright, it's time for some news. First, uh, Hollywood Reporter interviewed Giancarlo Esposito. This is him talking about how he got this role. I got a call from the Westworld team asking me if I liked the show. I said that I love the concept. I love the original movie, which I guess means he didn't see the show yet. And then I got a call of support from my people over at Better Call Saul. They told me they're such great writers. They have envisioned something very different and they can't get you out of their heads for it. We wanted to give you our support if you like them after you talk with them. So I got on the phone with Lisa Joy and her lovely husband, Jonathan Nolan, and I liked the way it sounded. And then I did it. I love Ed Harris. So sharing the screen with him is always such a treat. He's a guy who really plays. I mean, what a pairing there. Yeah. Two great actors. Well, here this is great. So watching the scene between 
uh, Ed Harris and Giancarlo Esposito, they say it feels like there are a, a couple of characters within Elazio. You speak with the man in black as Elazio, then you speak with him almost with the voice of Ford. Was that on your mind? He says it was. The real key is he shares something with the creator of this world who, in his own words, speaks very deeply to me. Quote, you have to let go. It's in that scene with Ford and Arnold where this robot is not ready to be sent out. I find it very, very interesting that strings and pieces of this very captivating Dr. Ford are woven through other characters to wake other characters up and allow them to know this is all a play of consciousness. That, to me, is some brilliant, brilliant writing. Oh, that actually wasn't... He says more about uh, his scene with Ed Harris. So he talking about how Man in Black gets frustrated with El Lazo and what was it like with him and Ed Harris to figure out how to play that interplay. He says, I could see that in Ed. He was frustrated. He totally wanted to intimidate El Lazo because he's the Man in Black, but El Lazo refuses that. Funny things happen with actors when we get into the trenches and we want to put the words into action and put all of our emotions into everything we do. At one point, Ed looked at me, and I looked at him, and in his eyes I could see what he was thinking. Oh, that's the way it's going to be. He literally had to walk away. I don't know where the hell he went for 15 minutes. When he walked back in, there was another idea twirling in his head. I loved it. That's the game we play as actors. It was exciting, and it was exhilarating. It was all right in the moment, fully unforced, just unfolded. Thankfully, we both kept our cool and allowed ourselves to be in that vulnerable place where you don't know what what it's going to be, but you know it's going. You know you're playing. That's. Uh, I was given a very wonderful and honorable opportunity to be a part of this as this special cameo. So basically, it sounded like their egos were bumping up together a little bit because uh, Giancarlo didn't want to play it submissive but they figured out how to do it. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of hearing about the movie heat when there's one scene in the whole movie where Al Pacino and uh, Robert De Niro are together, um, you know, a uh, cop and criminal. Yeah. And the director had them do the scene like 20 times until they got so tired that all their ego and technique fell out of it and it became more natural. Nice. <laughs> Got to be a strong director for that. <laughs> yeah, without a <laughs> doubt. With two big stars like that. But uh, yeah, the, these two guys together, that, that's interesting to hear how the, the acting aspect comes into it and mixes with the characters. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And I like the way that Giancarlo presented it is just always through a lens of respect for Ed Harris and his acting. But you can feel that he still has to incorporate. I mean, they both seem like guys who are going to have egos. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Okay, last one. C Magazine did a piece on Evan Rachel Wood. It was a long article, but there were a few interesting tidbits I liked. She ha- says she has synesthesia, which means she can hear color and feel sound. She says, I thought everyone experienced the world that way. I'm fascinated by the way our brains work. And I was reading about psychology and learned about what synesthesia was. And I was, and I thought, wait, other people don't feel that? <laughs> she has a four-year-old son She publicly came out as bisexual in 2011, and she's an advocate for LGBT civil and women's rights. She received the Human Rights Campaign Visibility Award at the 2017 North Carolina Gala, where she gave a candid speech about the importance of, quote, representing the underrepresented, which I thought was super cool. Very cool. And uh, just reminded me, we were listening to a two-part radio lab. Uh, which I think one of the episodes was brought back from the past and updated, and maybe the other one was new, but about color. 
how our brains perceive color. Kind of a must listen. Just fascinating. Yeah, I got to check that out. So I think um, what she said about how she perceives color would be interesting in that context. Yeah, I've heard of that before. I would like to experience that. It also said she's really a natural riding horses and shooting from horses, even though she's never had any training. <laughs> um, yeah, don't she, fall off your horse like Kevin Costner and Dances with Wolves. It was almost, was, oh yeah, in the, the scene where um, they're hunting the buffalo, he, f- he was doing his own stunts and he got seriously injured. I think he broke his collarbone and hurt his shoulder, almost sank like the whole that. movie. Oh, shit. I'm going to be talking with Stans with a Fist in a couple of weeks here because she was on <laughs> oh, Battlestar nice. Galactica. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, she talked about Evan Rachel Wood about all the nudity on the show. Quote, it's not even weird anymore. We've all been naked so often that it's just normal. I'll show up to work and say, okay, I'm naked in a lab and Anthony Hopkins is here. It's so surreal. There isn't even time to be stressed. (laughs) And then last of Westworld season two, she says, there's no way to really figure out this season. I read the final script and I said, I have a couple of questions. First, what exactly is this? (laughs) So we'll set you guys. What the heck is going on here? (laughs) Wait, this is the end. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That is it for the news. Let's get into some listener feedback. Okay, from um, Caroline Ann Collins. Lots of religious language tonight. Love the revelation of the man in black. I'm sure lots of people knew it when he donned the black hat last season, but I'm slow like that. It was clever how they made us think Dolores in a black dress would be in the future, then went to the past instead. I'm assuming the door is what we saw William building in the flashback and what they're all heading to. That's what you were just speculating. I think Um, I stole that from her. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, didn't mean to give you away. Uh, maybe the entrance to another world. I guess we'll find that out next week. Or maybe we'll just figure out what the heck Bernard's up to because they totally left us hanging there. Uh, yeah, um, all good observations. The one thing I would say is I think it's more what Charlotte was up to than what Bernard was up to. Because mm-hmm. remember, she said, this doesn't mean I'm reading you in, Bernard. So um, mm-hmm. he's kind of along for the ride, at least in the secret <laughs> lab, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what she means by love the revelation of the man in black. And I'm sure lots of people knew it when he donned the black hat last season. Maybe she's saying she just realized William and the man in black. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Jennifer Francisco says agreed with Caroline on loads of religious symbolism from the cross and that cement block. She was touching at Arnold's house to the last supper bit with the confederados. Yeah. I was thinking about Dolores talking about the Judas steer in season one, episode one, and how it's correlating to the LS moment, as well as the fact that she murdered Ford, quote, God, and whatever else is tying into it. Great episode. Yeah, and Lazarus and resurrection mm-hmm. and um, sacrifice, self-sacrifice, all of those aspects are here as well. Yep. So, yes, tons of, of such symbolism. Liza Irizarry Alvarez Oh my God, what an episode. I think I loved it, but it was so strange, a different feeling. The fade to black transitions were so powerful that every time I found myself asking, is it over? Uh, I gasped several times. Was Maeve able to control Teddy? Did she make him stop? Is she able to control Dolores? Arnold's scenes were so sad and somber. Was he in love with his creation? So many questions, but hey, welcome to Westworld. Thank you, Jason, David. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I thought the fade to black transitions were good too. 
Um, and that was not something that it was something that I think was used a couple times in the past, but not regularly. Mm-hmm. My speculation is that Maeve was not able to control Teddy or Dolores. Or at least didn't choose to. But probably not True. able to, yeah. At least yeah. not Dolores. Yeah, it, it was more like um, she had her bodyguard, Hector, and Dolores has her bodyguard, Teddy. And that was sort <laughs> of a standoff. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I think there is a strong implication that Arnold has fallen in love with his creation. Mm-hmm. And when you put it that way, it sounds a bit Frankenstein-y. <laughs> it does. And then and then you have uh, Ford as the god figure who has not fallen in love with his creations. Right. Becky Price said, it's the chicken guy from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Julius Hermanos. Um, from Jillian Moreau. Hi, Jason and David. Wow. Okay, so did anyone else do a jaw drop or double take when Logan was called Mr. Delos? Yes, yep. I did. I was <laughs> like, oh, that's their name. <laughs> Seeing Logan at that retirement party for his father definitely confirmed he clearly made it out of Westworld alive, even though he was sent off into the night riding bareback while bare-ass last season. I thought that too. Um, I agree with Jillian, because I, I had brought up, I wonder if the implication was... He, was dead. he killed him, but um, evidently he got out of there, but um, maybe not with his psyche intact. Right. She goes on to say, and I'm glad we're still getting to see more of the story behind William, the man in black, and hopefully getting a better idea of what happened to make him how he is now. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had thought maybe we wouldn't get to see Jimmy Simpson anymore after last season, but they're really doing it to great effect. It feels essential the way they're using him. He plays young William, by the way. Yep. Man- Mandy Castillo, Castillo says, so I watched without a glass of wine this week, and I'm still going to need to watch this again because it was so juicy. So to Post speak. Dolores, <laughs> pre-man in Black William is creepy as hell in every interaction he has this episode. Although the scenes with a seated naked host being interviewed are kind of uncomfortable. William speaking to a naked Dolores gave me the damn creeps. It's so rapey in a way a lot of the other scenes aren't. I can definitely see now exactly how William went from a sweet first timer to the jerk who abuses Dolores and the other hosts into his geriatric years. Something tells me it was William's idea to build the other parks and Dolores is referring to the hundreds of other hosts as a weapon. Hmm. Can't wait to see more. Yeah, it did seem creepy. I mean, he's Jimmy Simpson just sort of transformed. He, he, we knew him as the guy who fell in love with Dolores and now he's standing in front of her naked, looking at her as an object and calling her an object straight, straight out. So that is super creepy. I agree. Yeah. I think we've learned that William was disillusioned uh, after falling in love with Dolores and, and he actually, although he views her as an object also enjoys, you know, making that object suffer. Uh, to pay for the pain that he felt. I think we're also going to find that through most of season one, Dolores didn't even remember that the man in black was William. So that was a big reveal to her Mm -hmm. as well as to us. And now she has remembered more and more or remembered everything. Not only that they're the same person, but how much he had to do with creating this whole world. Right. Um, So her, contest with him i think is going to become an ever more central part of the plot Mm -hmm. yeah i'm looking forward to that yep that sounds good
All right. That is our show. Episode seven. Thanks for listening, everybody. A lot more of you guys are writing in and stuff. So that's awesome. Um, I want to mention this episode. I've been getting some editing help. This one is edited by Brian Malosh and he wanted me to let you guys know he's available for other podcasting editing work. I'll put his contact info in the show notes, but he's brianmalosh at gmail.com. And he's also, he has podcasts at walkingdeadtalkthrough.com and Star Trek Discovery Podcast.com. Nice job, Brian. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with me and David, you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. Or you can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we will play it on the air. Yeah, I'd like to hear some voice messages. Come on, brave souls. Karen keeps threatening to leave a voice message and then she doesn't do it. Come on, Karen, follow through on your threats. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear Karen. Yeah. Uh, You can also find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next episode, we have Westworld Season 2, Episode 3, Virtue e Fortuna. Look forward to breaking down the title. (laughs) All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? Eh. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.